free marketing to all the vendors who list with her this month. Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl and she works in a library, yeah, standing there behind the counter. No my hide my Kiara and welcome to our Books and Beyond Literary Lounge with Alison and Enika. Kia ora Enika. Kia ora Alison. How's it going? Oh good, good thanks. Good to be here. Um, we've just been listening to a really nice engine, haven't we? We have. Uh, yes. Sort of a treat in the morning. Very no. impressive. So now look on today's show we're going to talk about what we've been reading and what's on our to be read list and then we've got a, a hot tip to share. Yeah, maybe even two. We'll see how we, we go. Oh, yes. Actually, that's true, oh. isn't it? Now, look, I've been reading about human relationships in the in the past couple of weeks. Um, not surprising, um, since you know how much I love human drama. <laughs> um, oh, I should say in books, that is, not in real life. And in Shorty, right? Oh, and Shortland, Shortland Street, yes, <laughs> which is real. <laughs> yes, yeah, in, in my life. <laughs> hey, so I've just finished this really interesting Australian novel, and it's called Polly by um, a writer called Paul Dalgano. Now, it's available in hard copy in the libraries at the moment, but I wouldn't be surprised to see this on one of our e-book platforms before too long. Now, um, Polly is spelt with one L, and that will give you a bit of a clue about the content. Um, having said content, there's no particular content warning required. Um, so my measure is, um, if I think my mum could could read it okay good for mums yeah good for mums perhaps you know (laughs) so um just published very recently and it's um paul talgano's debut novel and it's set in present day melbourne Mm -hmm. now he has published non-fiction earlier but this is his first novel okay so the book, um, it follows um, a married millennial couple, a man and a woman called Chris and Sarah, and they open up their relationship to polyamory, and the story is told from the man's point of view. So um, the narrator, Chris, he's an introverted people pleaser who works in a library. Oh, right. <laughs> As you do. Um, Never met any of those in libraries. <laughs> no, that's right. And he loves music and reading. His self-esteem's pretty poor. But he really wants to be a good father and husband. And he's grieving the recent loss of his mother. Um, now, his wife, Sarah, used to be a professional dancer and, and she loves poetry. She's very kind and compassionate, but... She's a little bit impractical. She's sort of not that great in a crisis. She'll tend to quote poetry by Rumi or something (laughs) instead of actually doing something. Um, And she works in alternative medicine. She loves her two young children, but she sort of feels worn down by the years of domestic drudgery that she has experienced. And she's also grieving the the death of her long-term extramarital love interest, who was a Kiwi called Nico. Mm. And she remembers him as being some sort of love god, which he <laughs> probably was, I'm sure. And I don't think that's helped her husband's self-esteem. Um, so they've been together 15 years, things are a bit dull, um, and there's no spark in the relationship. So they decide to embark on polyamory and that is they introduce other love interests into their 
relationship. So the, now the cover of the book is interesting. It shows an open box of matches, which sort of suggested to me at first that either the polyamory experiment would add a bit of spark or vigour to the, the the relationship or else that the whole thing was going to go up in a ball of <laughs> flames and become a sort of great big tire fire. <laughs> I but, can't wait to find out what yeah. it is. <laughs> hey, yes, I won't spoil the, the plot, but um, it's pretty compelling. Um, there's some hilarious sort of awkward missteps and miscalculations. Some of it's quite poignant too. Um, and the, the character, Chris, he's a bit of a millennial male Bridget Jones in some <laughs> respects. But, you know, and I enjoyed the book to some extent, but overall it just didn't really move me. And I um, was just going to read this passage that um, where narrator Chris is questioning his decision-making because he's just having had spent the night with a, a young love interest. Mm. Of his, and he says, was it all about mortality? Was I reaching back through time, trying to cheat my place on the conveyor belt of doom by clinging on to a younger woman? Nah, I just like being with her, how she made me feel. So that that passage, to me, that did absolutely nothing for me. Yeah. Um, A little bit like a young Nick Hornby. Yeah, actually, that's... Yeah, um, perhaps more Nick Hornby than than, um, Bridget Jones... Um, perhaps yeah but so it's quite funny it's quite sad and it you know it certainly gives you an insight into the diversity of postmodern relationships but I just mm, I don't know could, yeah. it, could it be better for you yeah yeah it just didn't really do it for me Oh, we might like to mm. try one that I've been reading. Interestingly, um, I've also been reading a sort of a thruply situation um, mm. book. Um, this one was is called Luster by Raven Leilani. It was published last year and you find it in the adult fiction collection in all the formats pretty much. Um, it's another debut novel um, from an American author. I really can't get enough of these at the moment. Mm. So it's just absolutely pack my requests, mm. cue. Now, um, Edie is a, a black woman in her 20s and she's living in New York City. She's got no family and she's got quite a sad past. Um, she's really doing the best that she can right now, but um, it's not quite quite mm. passing muster. Um, she's working in a really thankless job in publishing that she's not really interested in and it only just covers the bill. She's actually an aspiring artist, but she's just not able to do it right now. She's quite lonely and depressed, but still quite horny. And um, she's completely over the the absolutely superhuman effort that's involved in trying to be the very best black girl in the office. And, you know, according to the structure of, of what's going on in her office, there can be only one and somebody else is doing it better mm. than her. Yeah, she's she's given up the fight with that one. Um, when we first meet Edie, she's in a relationship. Um, it is online and it's during work time <laughs> with um, her polar opposite. Um, Eric's a white man in his late 40s. He's got a successful career. Um, his wife, Rebecca, has written the rules for an open marriage for him. So um, he's playing by the rules. Um, but she's got huge oversight over what's going on in that. <laughs> now, it turns out that Edie, as well as sort of having um, online sex with um, with Eric, during work time, she's also been having quickies in the workplace with various workmates, and um, this gets discovered, and she gets fired. None of their partners, oh. I should 
point out. Um, none yeah. of any of the other partners gets fired. She does. She does. Yeah. So um, she's lost her money. She's kicked out of her apartment. And she ends up living by this kind of unspoken arrangement in Eric's big house in the suburbs with his wife and their adopted teenage daughter, Akila, who is um, really savvy sarcastic young woman um, but she's really struggling she's the only black kid in her all-white neighborhood so the idea seems to be that Edie moving in is going to fix like a multitude of problems all at once um, you can see that this yes, might not work yes yeah. should I give out the box of matches <laughs> so, <laughs> as well yeah now lots of the power dynamics in play in this book so race privilege gender and capitalism um, age as well is a big factor because um, Edie's like 20 years younger oh. than her lover and only maybe 8 years older than their adopted daughter oh. um, that it all becomes really hothoused by this kind of weird marriage of convenience that ends up going on there um, she's really searching for stability she wants support and time to be able to paint and build her artistic career up and she's never had that before um, and she wants a relationship and a family on her own terms but instead she's getting this kind of borrowed weird version where she has to jump through all these crazy hoops you know emotional and mental hoops and physical hoops as well and navigate really murky waters to get anywhere close to what she actually wants and she's never really going to make it in the way that it's working out um leilani's a really really talented writer um she's got very blunt beautiful language um and she's got this really unfiltered spotlight shining on edie's inner thoughts so you get all the all the messiness um that's going on in edie's head um edie's one of those characters that you know we see a lot of now you know she's a messy complicated Mm. modern woman who you know She's not playing by the rules that everyone wants for her. Um, there's lots of dark humour in the book, and it, it really shows us the exhausting reality of what Edie's sort of untethered mm. life is like. Um, she's got a lot of pain going on, but she's also got heaps of raw potential. She's a very smart young person, but she's got no net and um, mm. in a really harsh society. So, yeah, it puts everything into stark contrast, these different lives yeah. working with each other. So I found this a really addictive read. And um, I reckon that if you enjoyed Queenie by Candice Cardi-Williams or Such a Fun Age mm. by Kylie Reid, then you would want to get on to Luster by Raven Leilani. Sounds amazing. I'm going to have to put my name on the, the request really list good. for that one. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Can't wait. Well, look, sort of on a similar theme, similar but different, um, the other book I've been reading, which is also about the diversity and complexity of modern life, modern relationships, is called uh, Exquisite Cadavers. It's a great title, isn't it? By um, Mina Kandasami. Now, it was published uh, 2019 and it's um, in all all the formats to the e-book and hard copy. So, now this is really interesting. She's an interesting writer. Um, So, Mina Mina, um, Kandasami, she's a poet, fiction writer, translator and she's an activist actually who she was born in Chennai in India Mm -hmm. but lives in London now it's quite an unusual book but you know me these sort of things are right up my alley (laughs) actually it's very short it's only like a hundred pages but it's um very dense it's complex and and brave and it leaves you wanting more like any good novel or novella should (laughs) Now, by the way, if you're wondering about the title of the book, um, Exquisite Cadavers, it's a nod to that old parlour game where um, we've, I think we've called it something different in New Zealand, but where a group of people 
construct a story by each adding a sentence at the end oh, yes. of the previous one, but you don't really get to see all the other sentences. And then um, when they read it out at the end, the story's gone all sort of cattywampus, <laughs> if that's a word. Um, so, and Exquisite Cadavers is actually the surrealist art version of that game. Mm, interesting. Where you put a picture or a photo together um, using little bits. Yeah. And then what, you know, what comes out at the end is really unusual. Mm. So, um, the book, anyway, was written as a, a response to the response to her earlier work of autofiction, which was called When I Hit You, ah. and um, which was an account of an abusive marriage. Now, the earlier book um, was constructed as a novel, a work of autofiction. However, the reviewers insisted on describing it as a memoir and so the author felt enraged that she wasn't allowed the autonomy of deciding the genre that her own first novel belonged to. Mm, fascinating, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting how she's had this reaction and she firmly believes, and I'm sure she's right, that this happened um, not only because she's a woman but because she's a woman of colour mm. and that it was the white reviewers that determined and imposed that. Yes, imposed their lens on her own work. Interesting. So she's written this book, Exquisite Cadavers. It's somewhat experimental, but she's very clear to state that the main text of the book has nothing to do with her own life. But on each page, she's written extensively about herself and her life, but they're in the margins of each page. Oh. It's kind of um, fascinating. And I'm sure she's trying to tell us that many people and, and people of colour, immigrant um, communities, live in the margins of society. I think that's what she's sort of trying to, cool. to say. Interesting, yeah. So the main text is a story about a young couple in, in London called Maya and Karim. And um, she makes it clear that their lives are not the same as it's hers. <laughs> um, and they're just navigating life and modern or postmodern life and the complexity of relationships. Um, uh, he's from Tunisia and um, she's a mixed race British. Um, and um, the writer says, I, I make Maya the mixed race race British woman um, I make her very relatable to British readers mm. um, I steal a little bit of every English woman I see to build the composite and so Maya is Amy, Sarah, Claire, Naomi, Jill, Lucy, Alison and God yes, God yes, Kate of course <laughs> so, yes, um, what authors need to do to sell the book yeah, that's so <laughs> true isn't it for relatability yeah, so there's so much packed into the hundred pages um not just the the two stories but um opinions about immigration sexual violence me too film criticism the history the damage handed down in families mm. it's so insightful and and quite humorous in a way um she's really good on difficult relationships and also liberal identity politics because um, Karim, the partner in the book, he's a film studies undergrad. Okay. Um, he's on a, a scholarship and he's looking for a subject for his first film but everything he suggests is rejected by his university. And um, so they, they say, oh, we want a project that 
embraces and interrogates your identity as motivation, as an art statement, um, as part of our institutional commitment mm. and mission to include a, a whole host of diverse voices. Um, but they won't take his but they won't. proposal. <laughs> yeah, and what he's hearing is what they don't say, and it's, you're here, you're in London, we're paying for this, um, we expect you to listen to us. Mm. You know, there's, oh, um, it's really, really interesting and transactional and scary, and it's so good. Sounds fantastic. Yeah. Um, I really, really liked it. It's concise and punchy. I could say more about it, but I'd highly, highly recommend it. Really loved it. Sounds wonderful, yeah. Um, do you, did you think that she's um, really nailed the what she set out to... Yes, I think she has. Now, some reviewers have, have said that she's a little bit heavy-handed in what she's trying to say, but just um, things like um, the, you know, the uh, Karim's experience of, um, it, you know, he's got the supposed freedom to make art, but he realises that as freedom, it's as. Um, utterly sort of transactional. It's exactly the same as the twenty hour a week, twenty hours a week that he spends working in a Turkish restaurant. And ah, yeah, yeah. It's um, and all the microaggressions that they both experience. It's quite interesting because that the luster by Raven Liliani also looks at that because um, in the book um, Edie's also an artist and oh, yeah yes. and really the only way that she can find time to work on her art is to live in this house in this compromised position with these very successful um, couple. Yes, and that, I'm sure they put pressure on her too, and probably. Um, insinuate you're in our house. We're paying for this. Absolutely, you there's all these us. rules around it. Yeah, and caveats the, around yes. it. Yes, mm. and even sometimes they're not spoken overtly these days because that would be That's wrong. Right. In, That's right. In air quotes, but we we make it pretty clear, don't we, that you'll do what we. Yeah, that's right. Say you'll, you know, do. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. I've got to put this one on my list. It sounds really, really good. Yeah, I really loved it. And I I did, it grabbed me more than Polly did, to be really honest. Yeah, and just in 100 pages too. Yes, that's it's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've been looking at um, human relationships over a longer span with my next read. Um and this is a non-fiction read um, called Humankind, A Hopeful History by Rutger Bregman. Uh, Bregman? Bergman. I've got it written yeah. down twice here. It's either Bregman or Bergman, oh, everybody. Oh, yes, I see. Check yes. it for yourself. Have fun with that. Um, <laughs> it's available in um, hard copy and an ebook. Now, um, um, Rutger, I'm going to call him Rutger now, mm, we're on first yes. name basis. Um, he is a Dutch author and historian. And um, the premise for this book is that despite the doom and gloom that we, we are always seeing on our news cycles, that humans are essentially and innately altruistic people who want to do the right by each other, even and perhaps especially in times of crisis. So this is the sort of thing I really needed to read, mm, to be honest, mm, after the last all, few years. We all need it, don't we? That's yeah. right. Um, so um, he has sifted through hundreds of sociology 
sociology papers to find many stories and statistics to back up this claim. And he's included, um, he's gone right back to sort of anthropological um, studies and he's looked to see, he's decided that um, humankind's true superpower and the reason that we're at the top of the heap when it comes to the food chain and the, the chain of life is that we were friendly enough to live together in groups and work together for the greater of goods. So it's sort of survival of the most convivial. Oh, right. Yeah. So he reckons that it all started, you know, that the the fall of Eden really was when we um, started settling and getting into agriculture and possessing land and yeah so he was sort of talking about nomadic culture versus oh, settled culture fascinating yeah pretty mm. interesting mm. um he's really uncovered some fascinating research um just as one little example um did you know that 80 percent of u.s soldiers never actually used their weapons when they're in combat um this is during world yes. war ii um they were completely disinclined to kill despite being under fire themselves and they would rather than run away and hide they would do other things that might put them in more danger rather than shoot their weapons mm. it's quite interesting but i have to say i'm sorry to say that the research that came from this um, was also used to develop military training which then brainwashed soldiers in further wars so that they would be in full killing mode and for instance by the time the vietnam oh, war rolled around that right. training was in full effect um, sadly. Mm. Um, he also debunks the results of some famous sociological experiments and some media stories that sort of have been held up over his time as examples of how we can mm. be so cruel when put into difficult situations. Um, but Rutger takes a really deep dive into the detail to show what really happened and how those situations were manipulated by the um, runners of the experiments and how those outcomes were shaped to fit this kind of fear and mistrust narrative that was playing needed to sort of played out better in the oh. media and was kind of able to be used for political ends. So really, really interesting. Wow. Um, it's a pop psychology book. It's not, um, you know, it's not heavy at all. Um, so in comparison to perhaps some other books in that sort of um, pile. Um, this is not a difficult read. You'll, you'll whip through it fairly quickly, even though it's about maybe three, 300, 350 pages. Um, there is a bit of a Pollyanna vibe to it. Um, but to be honest, I kind of needed that yeah, when I was reading it. I might. I think we all do. Yeah, <laughs> so get on the list if you need that too. Pollyanna um, as opposed to just Polly. That's right. <laughs> yes, that's right. I don't think they got into Polly in there. I just don't remember now. <laughs> and... Um, on a similar vibe, and this one is on my to-be-read list because I've only just started it. Um, it's a lot shorter than Humankind at only 90 pages. Ooh, yeah. um, I've just started reading How to Stay Sane in an Age of Division by Elif Shafak. Um, now, some listeners may have read her novel... 10 minutes, 38 seconds in this strange world. Oh, yes. It was shortlisted for the booker in 2019. Um, now, Shafak is a prolific Turkish and British author, um, and she's an, also an activist. Mm. Um, she champions women's rights, minority rights, and she's, yeah, she's quite political. And um, she's also been described as a lifter of hearts, and I think that's something we all need mm. right now. Now, this little book is an exploration of how we our sharing of stories brings us together and how we can bring optimism a bit more consciously into our lives rather than just waiting for those opportunities to happen. Um, she also wants us to try and mitigate the effects of all those algorithms that are, that um, dictate um, and polarise opinions online yes. and can cause division where there doesn't need to be. Um, yeah, so just a ticket for these really uncertain times. Um, and I also, a little bonus, is that it's the perfect size to just tuck in your handbag or your backpack so you've got a little lift on the go. You know, I always think it's great to have a little light book that's ready to deploy. 
So do I. Yes. And particularly something for these times too. So that sounds wonderful. Yeah, it's a nice looking little unit, isn't it? Pretty little book from a um, a series called The Welcome Series. So I'll have to have a look and see if there's other little light ones. Yeah, for a booster. Yes. Booster for your backpack. Just when you need it. Mm. Yes. Well, look, um, I think I've got time to... I was telling you about something um, interesting that I've come across this week because I've actually been doing some research for another project that I'm working on. Mm. And so I've been reading um, an older book and it's a book of correspondence that um, includes letters that the American writer and composer Paul Bowles wrote to his wife Jane Bowles who was also a writer. And these letters were written in the 1940s and and beyond. So the, the book's called In Touch, The Letters of Paul Bowles. And um, it was released in 1994. So it's been around for a while. But I just thought it kind of fits in because the Bowles were um, a bohemian couple who escaped the confines of that really straight-laced American society of the 30s and 40s. And um, they lived most of their lives in Tangier in North Africa where um, there was lots of drugs and alcohol and it was cheap. Living was cheap. Um, Now, they had a lavender marriage and they were a um, a throuple as well with Jane's love interest, Sharifa. Mm -hmm. So... um, Mentioning the book, I guess, because it reminded me that um, people were questioning the traditional relationships way before 2020. So true. So it's not just... We should forget that. Yeah, I think we've got to keep that in mind. It's not just a new thing. And they even then they are asking if the, the white picket fence and two and a half labradoodles or, or kids um, were, Take your pick. Yeah, were achievable, <laughs> affordable, desirable. I know they probably didn't have labradoodles in 1940s, but um, well, those concepts... Their loss. Yeah, their loss. Right. <laughs> but all those questions were around even then. So, and... Um, it's so true. Yeah. So nothing changes, really, does it? Or some things change. That's right, although they had to go to Tangier to do it. To do it, yes, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so that's one I, I'd recommend having having a look at that too. Really, really interesting. Excellent. Oh, well, I think we've got enough time for a hot tip or two. What do yes, you think? Yes, definitely. There's awesome. a good one, isn't there? Really good one. So um, hot tip for this week is that the 2021 Ockham Book Awards long list just came out um, this week. So and we're really pleased to see that some of our favourites from last year are on there. So um, we were happy to see um, Fake Baby by Amy yes. McStade, um, Nothing to See by Pip Adam and Sprigs by Brennavan Nganga Lingham on the list. And um, we would really, if you haven't already read these books, we want you to get in the queue for them. And you could also check out some of our past episodes on Auckland Library's SoundCloud account um, to hear our reviews and what we thought of those three books. And um, we will also ask you to look out for more reviews coming off that long list coming soon from, from Alison and I. So we are looking forward to sharing more of those with you. Um, the long list lasts for a month. The cut comes in a month's time. So the, you'll see the shortlist coming out in a month's time. So get reading now and then we'll see who's still standing after that last cut. Yeah. And so it gives us a, I mean, my to be read list is now the, the, the long list. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, um, the ones from this list of 40 that we 
that I haven't read already. That's right. We always have to pay a little bit of catch up. Sometimes yes. we can't get them all. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a game of catch up, isn't it? A game of two halves, but it is a game of, of catch up, mm. this sort of work that we do. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to, to getting into into that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think our last hot tip for the day is that um, our summer reading sort of challenges, which have been running since the 5th of January, um, this is your last week to get on board with those. Um, the last day of challenges is Friday the February the 5th. So do visit our website, aucklandlibraries.govt.nz. Get registered. Join one of the two challenges we have on there, one for families and one just for you. And you could be in the ch- with the chance to win Specsavers prize packs with two pairs of glasses, um, valued at up to $800. You could win passes to lots of Auckland attractions. And you can also win a Kobo Neo near e-reader so you can dive into our digital library and there's heaps more prizes there too including new books so yes get to our website and try out our new digital platform beanstack because that's where the reading challenge sits this time it's all online you can do it on your phone or on a website lots of fun and heaps of recommended reads in there lots to discover yeah and beanstack's really fun to use isn't it i'm finding it really rewarding as i'm a way really of, enjoying it yeah, yeah it's a good way of having a visual record of what you've been reading and interesting to see as well how much you're reading in each day and how you can fit a bit yes. more in yeah i'm finding it quite a motivator actually it's sort of a bit like a fitbit for your for your mind or for your readers it is <laughs> i think it is yeah and it's got and if you're into that fitbit sort of thing it's got a stats bar so you can yes. see whether you've got a streak of reading or whether you need to catch up a bit yeah it's yeah cool. and i like the way it sends you a reminder um, every couple of days have you been reading you know have you been reading yeah yes. you can also it doesn't matter if you miss a day of reading if you were reading yesterday or three days ago you can still log that past reading on your account and play catch up yeah oh no it's really good and it's fun too isn't it? Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Well, look, this has been really great, and um, thanks for for your time today, Inika. And My pleasure. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in. Um, happy reading, and take care, and, and be kind to yourselves. Haerera, kakite anō. This program was brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and. Catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day, every day, every day.